Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so, so much, Juliet. I am Lisa Domino White, also known as the Joy Seeker, which is super cheesy, but I love it. I love it. I love it because that is what I am all about. I believe that we can be happy despite our challenges, despite our struggles. It's just a matter of understanding who we are, accepting what we can, and having the strength to change or improve what we feel like is keeping us from being as happy as we know we can be. So Mm. the joy seekers who I am, Mm -hmm. I wrote a book all about it. Bursting with happiness available on Amazon. I love spreading joy, inspiring people to create more joy for themselves, their communities and all across the world Mm -hmm. is essentially my mission. Beautiful. How do you define happiness? You know, I think happiness is one of those things that we know it when we feel it, you know, and when people hear that I'm the joy seeker, they, some of them say, oh, you're just one of those people who only focuses on the positive in life and you ignore the bad stuff. And I push back a little because that's not real life. That's not realistic. We have to acknowledge that some people and situations are challenging, are sucky, are miserable, and we have to absorb that. We have to experience it, feel it, but not ignore it. The difference is between acknowledging and dwelling. Mm. We can acknowledge the crappiness of a situation, but that doesn't mean we have to stay in it. Mm-hmm. We can either you know, find a way out of it on our own or get help, reach out for some additional resources when we need that assistance. And so I think it's just that making a decision intentionally on if we want to stay in that space and dwell on something or say, you know what, it's a fork in the road and I choose my happiness and Mm -hmm. I choose to find a different path beyond what I'm feeling now. We got to feel the feels, right? And that's the important distinction because toxic positivity, especially on social media has really taken over. And and it's, it is, it's, it's damaging the whole, you know, good vibes only. So I, I think I'm glad that people bring it to your attention so you can push back so that people understand it's a conscious working at making room for it all and finding the joy or gratitude or healing or whatever it might be on the other side. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if we walk around ignoring or refusing to acknowledge the negative, it's going to catch up with us. I mean, our bodies, our bodies are smarter than we give them credit for, you know? And so whether you are consciously acknowledging it or not, it's going to come up. And so Mm -hmm. it's important to be upfront, acknowledge, feel the feels. And then when deciding how to move past it, how to do that effectively and with what works for you. Mm-hmm. So have you always been joyful or what led you to be a said joy seeker? <laughs> I have always been goofy, silly, funny, happy, just positive. I mean, I can remember <laughs> it rubs some people the very wrong way. You know, I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. a positive, optimistic person. And so, you know, growing up, I can remember some people just rolling their eyes and, you know, one person actually said, 
you make me a little nauseated with your positivity. And I'm like, well, then go take some Pepto moving on. This is who I am. This is me. But it's funny you ask the question because in addition to being all of those things, I was also very, very scared and anxious as a little girl. I remember vividly, like it was yesterday, I was probably five, six, and my dad was changing a watch battery at the kitchen table. And you know, those are super tiny, those little watch batteries. Mm -hmm. And he was changing it. And I I sat there and couldn't get over how small it was. Mm. Wow, that is, that could easily be swallowed. Mm -hmm. And and I asked him over and over, are you sure you're not going to accidentally leave it on the kitchen table mm. that maybe somehow it'll get mixed in with dinner tonight and somebody will accidentally swallow it and wow. die. And I couldn't get it out of my head. And that was the start of what I can recall being very, very scared of the health and safety and well-being of my family sure. and me. I mean, that was just, I felt such fear that something bad was going sure. to happen to some existential dread. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And I, I, I love telling the story of who doesn't remember Kmart back in the day. Oh the yeah. Special for sure. The blue light special. Well, we would go to Kmart a lot and I can remember my mom shopping with me and my brother. We'd be in, you know, the, the women's section of the store and my brother, who's two years, well, two and a half, three years younger than me, never wanted to be there. He'd say, can I go look at the toys? And of course, you know, this was 1982. So Uh five mom's like, yeah, go look at the toys. And I'm like, are you crazy woman? Mm. Somebody's going to steal him. So of course, as the older sister, Mm. I would go with him. And I, I remember standing there like his personal bodyguard while he's looking at the GI Joes and the He-Man action figures. I'm standing there making sure nobody takes my brother Mm. because that's my job. Nothing's going to happen on my watch. It's enormous responsibility, huh? Huge. Yeah. Huge. But I, I took it for my brother, for my parents. I wouldn't allow them to go on a date night because Mm. there could be an accident, you know? So that was my mindset, but people didn't know outside of my home that I had these fears, these uncontrollable fears, but they didn't keep me from being joyful, except when I was in the middle of a a fearful situation. I needed that constant reassurance from my mom. If I felt like a pain or a twinge or an ache, mom, does this mean I'm going to die? I automatically would go there. Mm -hmm. So they got me some help and they took me to a child psychologist who was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, She gave me some tools and some strategies and in all fairness to my parents, she said a lot of the same things that they did, Mm -hmm. but you hear it it differently. Yeah. Coming from her, it was credible. It was like, this is somebody who knows what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. And she didn't have any skin in the game. Mm -hmm. My parents would have said or done anything to make me feel better. Sure. But I didn't believe them because they just wanted me to feel better. So I was able to take those strategies, take those tools, and pretty much all through high school, college, live a pretty normal, I say normal, pretty always anxious, but never to the point of going to where I was, where I would Uh spiral Yeah. until I got married. Okay. So fast forward, that was 1982, 83. Yeah. Gosh. Wow. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Fast forward to 2000 when I got married. Okay. Tough. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was, it was like everything resurfaced plus some. Okay. Plus some. It was- 
because it was a new family unit that mattered. It was stresses that I had never experienced before. I didn't live with my husband in advance. Uh-huh. So it was this pressure of wanting to be the perfect wife Got it. and obsessing for some reason now over germs. That was mm-hmm. a really big fear for some mm-hmm. reason. And mm-hmm. I recognized pretty early on within the first six, eight months of marriage, I said, I need help. I mm-hmm. can't, this is keeping me from being as joyful as I know I should be, as I know I could be. Mm-hmm. And this is, I don't want my marriage to look like this because my poor husband, he's like, what did I marry? <laughs> I went did all of this come from <laughs> bless his heart. I mean, he was like, you gotta be kidding me. Mm-hmm. And, and to his credit, he's doing everything he can to make me feel better. Sure you know, to calm my fears. Yes. And actually that's what I was going to say too, about the parent thing, you know, the constant reassurance, just fuels the fire. And this is so hard for parents, right? Because we just want to help our kids. And so for, for partners too, the the people that love us, we just want to make it feel better. And it, we know we can say the thing and it works temporarily, but it doesn't teach us that we can handle things and cope with the anxiety on our own and all of that. So I think that's also the other piece of going to a psychologist and hearing it in that way and learning your own tools where you start to believe in your innate ability to cope with it. Sure. hundred percent. But they're doing it from a place of love. Of course. And as the person who needs that reassurance, that makes me feel better temporarily. So it's the cycle. It's, it's feeding the monster if you will. It's, it's allowing me to continue feeling that way, knowing that I've got a way to not feel that fear. Yes. It's, it's wild. And so, and so I was still living in the same hometown that I grew up in. So I reached out and my child psychologist was still practicing. Oh my gosh. And I called her and I said, you may not remember me. You helped me 15 years ago, is there any chance you'd be willing to help me now? And she said, oh my gosh, of course. That gives me chills. Uh, just on this end of things, how we, so often we just kind of are left curious. I wonder what happened to so-and-so. <laughs> so to imagine somebody 15 years later coming back, what a gift and a testament to y'all's work together. I never forgot her. Uh, I never forgot her. She made such a difference in my life. And so, and, and she's a family therapist. I I said, Mm -hmm. child psychologist, family Mm -hmm. therapist. So she, you know, worked with adults and children of all ages. So met with her, you know, I was a newlywed. This was 21 years ago. Uh So I was a newlywed. Um, and I, I, you know, struggled. I said, look, you helped me back then. And I don't know why everything's resurfacing and, and even more so now the fears, the the, the, the anxiety. And she, she made a great point. She said, when we go through major life changes, we often revert back to our natural mindset and feeling and how we cope our strategies, right? That feels safe. That feels comfortable. Familiar. Without even realizing it. Yep. So we talked, you know, we, we, we talked and she helped me. We actually diagnosed me as OCD. Yep. Official OCD diagnosis. Uh, wasn't surprised. Mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised because I was noticing the, if something, okay, I would be at work, I would drop a pen on the floor. Mm-hmm. A normal person would pick up the pen and move on with their day. I couldn't do that. Got it. All I could focus on was the germs that were now on my pen. And if I was alone in my office at work, I would use a tissue, pick it up, 
get a wet wipe, wipe the pen, and then go wash my hands and then move on with my day. Mm -hmm. If I'm in the middle of a meeting, I can't exactly do that. I would Mm -hmm. grab the pen, but I would hold it and not write with it because I I didn't want to, this is going to sound crazy, my connections, I would say, well, okay, now my hand is touching the pen. My hand is contaminated. If I write on my notebook, now the notebook, that's the spiral that I would go down. Yeah. So until I could clean the pen, wash my hands, I was not okay. I couldn't focus on anything else. Mm -hmm. And so she helped me with some exposure therapy. Yeah. We did a lot of that and wow, it changed my life. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, it changed my life. Sure. Did you guys work through a, a hierarchy, an exposure yes. hierarchy? And yes. And so, yes. yeah, you start with things that might be less intimidating and fear based and work your way up to things that are more fear based and scary. And um, that is, that's a big commitment for somebody who, who, yes, yeah, to decide I'm willing to lean in. Absolutely. Because I was freshly married. I was like, I deserve better than this nightmare than this, mm-hmm. this, this cycle of fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted to have children one day. I mean, I, I, I had a choice again. I had a choice. That's I could it. either continue down this path, which was miserable. I mean, I was so, I was happy externally. People sure. didn't know, mm-hmm. but inside. And of course my husband and my family, we all were miserable. Mm-hmm. And That's my right. poor husband came with me to see my, my doctor. And he he asked the question, he said, what do I do? Do I reassure her? Uh-huh. Because he recognized he didn't want to enable me, yeah. but at the same time, he didn't want to see me suffer. Yep. So as someone who's supporting someone with OCD and anxiety, Gosh. how do they best help? And this poor guy is 24 years old and we're freshly married. And all of a sudden I didn't feel like the same woman he married. Mm. Well, you feel foreign to yourself in that way. Oh my gosh. I remember sitting in the doctor's office during that appointment and I just was sobbing because I couldn't believe they were talking about me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really surreal Mm -hmm. to think that I was embarrassed. It was so embarrassed, Mm. you know, because this was not me. This is not Mm -hmm. who I know I am. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to let it defeat me. Just wasn't. I was going to fight it. I was going to fight the crap out of this thing. Yeah. And it's just, and that can be so hard to do with that embarrassment and shame because you can get really stuck in a narrative of what's wrong with me. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So I actually, I mean, I love that you were able to see it as something you could tackle, something that wasn't you in the way that you could sort of almost like objectify it and and deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. And I wasn't under any assumption that. I would never have these tendencies. Sure. I mean, I, I've, I, I knew I would probably always be an anxious person mm-hmm. and I wasn't going in there saying I need to take every piece of anxiety and fear <laughs> away because that's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I could improve what I was currently living with. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to try. And mm-hmm. so we got on medication Yep. Um, I was open to that, you know, if, if there's a solution and, and my doctor made a beautiful point. She said, the medication is not intended to take away your fears, to take away the anxiety. What it's meant to do is bring your anxiety down so you can more rationally think things yes. through and, and that's pull exactly on your coping what skills. Yeah. It did. And yeah. that's exactly what it did. Mm-hmm. So I, and I have that conversation so often with clients and parents, right? The medication 
piece. And I, I love that description because I, I just feel like we can't, I can sit there and teach someone coping skills all day long. It's almost like I'm just kind of talking at you though. If your baseline is up to a 100, right? Yeah. So the medicine can often work with that. Yeah. Get you down to a more reasonable baseline so that you can pull on those skills. Yep. And that's and wonderful. I'll, and I'll tell you, when I was able to do an exposure and, you know, you start slow mm-hmm. and, you know, you resist the urge to wash your hands five minutes, then the next mm-hmm. time, 10 minutes, and then pretty soon you're an hour in and pretty mm-hmm. soon the confidence mm. that I felt about myself. I remember even at a point going, come on, I dare you OCD. Give me a situation <laughs> that you want me to, you want me to back down on or struggle with. I dare you. I double dog dare you. I mean, there were moments where I was flying so high with mm. confidence and joy. Mm-hmm. And then there are days conversely where I felt like I was the weakest and couldn't mm. do anything. I mean, so, and that's normal. And I wasn't sure. going to allow myself to get into, uh, oh, forget it. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it because mm-hmm. the highs were so high. I was like, I am strong. And the, uh, the beauty is when you have a moment where you're struggling, we think back to some areas and times when we were strong and got through something. Mm-hmm. I got through that time when all I wanted to do was wash my hands and I couldn't think of anything else, but I got through that. I can get through this situation too. And that's with anything, not even OCD stuff. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, anytime we're faced with a challenge or a struggle, think back to when you were a brave rock star and you got through that. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important too, to hold all of it more loosely than we tend to, right? So even the, I am nailing it. You know, if we hold on to that too tightly and kind of over-identify with that, then yes, when it swings back, um, that fall is even harder. Absolutely. So you kind of, you, you, it's it's all about that stepping back and observing. These are all me. Yes. And, and these things are all within me to, to, to know how to deal with it. And so I love that because we have, again, we have to acknowledge the highs and lows, the ebbs and flow. Absolutely. And, and, it, and even growth with some steps back, it's still growth. That's it. It's never linear, <laughs> never linear. And, and, and that's okay. And yeah. to have some forgiveness and patience with ourselves and mm-hmm. knowledge, you know, but I'm still a heck of a lot stronger and more where I want to be than I was yes. that perspective. Yes. So anxiety tends to be, you know, a bully and a worst case scenario kind of being. So talk to me about the, the finding of joy, even when that was so prevalent. One thing that really helped is my doctor saying, don't borrow trouble. Mm. So when my anxiety would get really high, why am I getting anxious and upset over the worst case scenario that may or may never happen? Mm -hmm. So instead, let's try to live in the moment, live in the present. I mean, that's that's the million dollar secret and wish we could all do it on anything, you know, forget the past or learn what we can from the past, don't stay in there, and then don't obsess over the future in terms of something that, you know, we're getting so upset over, but that may never happen. Mm -hmm. Just acknowledge the fact that that is certainly something that concerns me and know that if that should happen, I will handle it just like I've handled the million other things in my life I've handled. I'm stronger than I think I am. But the key to, I believe, the joy piece is what I call bursts of joy. Uh Bursts of joy are those things that we can do that make us smile, that make us laugh, that are guaranteed to relax us, give Mm. our brains a break. And 
what's so empowering about them is we create them. Mm-hmm. They're up to us. Now, it's so lovely when someone creates a burst of joy for <laughs> you. You know, you get flowers delivered to your office one day with you're not expecting it, or somebody gives you a compliment on your new hairdo. Lovely, absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. But we have to own our joy. And this is where the bursts of joy come in. So often people say, I'll be happy when mm. I get that promotion. I yes. you know, f- finally meet that right person. Yes, of course, you will be absolutely happy. But what about between now and then? Because that thing may not happen, may never happen, may happen next month, may happen next year, may happen in 10 years. So in the interim, let's focus on our joy. Let's focus on the little things that we can do that'll make us happy. And mm-hmm. it's not to be something to overthink. It's mm-hmm. really, really simple. It's watching an episode of the show you've been binging because you can't get enough of it and it mm-hmm. makes you happy or watching an old favorite like Seinfeld or friends, because you know that when Joey Tribbiani says, how you doing, you're going to crack up. Mm-hmm. That's the simple thing. Mm-hmm. The exercise that you're doing, if you enjoy it, you get out there take a walk in nature. People love nature. That's where a lot of people find their connection. Music, you're into music, you enjoy a certain band or singer, turn them on every once in a while. It's it's not just knowing what makes you happy, it's actually doing it. Yeah. Intentionally. Yeah. Right. And being open to it, I think, and in, in, intentionally creating space for it, which, yes. you know, the, the, the issue is that the whole idea of self-care has been so... Uh, watered down in a lot of ways that it, um, I talked about this in a previous podcast where it has in a lot of ways for people has felt like something, another thing that we're going to fail at another thing that I have to keep track of and, uh, and, and it, it shouldn't be tedious, right? I mean, that's the idea. We've sort of lost sight of what self-care is meant for. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that some people feel like, oh, self-care is meditation. Mm Self-care is exercise. Self-care is is blank. And Mm -hmm. if you don't enjoy those things, it's not Uh (laughs) self-care. It shouldn't feel like another thing that you have to do. So if if taking a bubble bath makes you happy and Mm -hmm. relaxes you, that's Mm self-care. If, if, and and women struggle with this because a a colleague, um, a client of mine said, well, what I, I said, what do you love to do? And she said, well, I love watching Netflix. And I said, okay, that's self-care. And she's, No, it's not. That's a waste of time. We have to change the perception of what we believe self-care is. For you, there is no guilt around watching that episode on Netflix. That's Mm -hmm. your self-care. But don't feel judged that other people would say it's not. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know. So many things. I mean, even just saying saying no to you know, the phone call that's coming in, but you just don't have the energy. That's right. self-care, <laughs> setting boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, conversely, I will say that bursts of joy can sometimes happen without us realizing it. So, mm-hmm. so often we forget that we're not the same people we've always been. You know, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago, five years ago, even last month. We're always changing and evolving. And so often we fall into the the trap of, well, I never enjoyed that before. So I'm, I wouldn't enjoy it now. Correct. And it's, it breaks my heart to think that there's people out there who are not doing or trying new things because they think they won't like it. Whereas it could bring a heck of a lot of joy to you. And my favorite example of this for me is football. I was at a, a friend's party about 12 years ago. I'd never watched a football game in my life. I'm like, <laughs> really? Whatever. 
it was on in the corner of the room. And I kind of moseyed over there and felt a little piece of intrigue. And the people around were excited and high-fiving and watched the screen. And I'm looking at the fans and talking to the people in the room. And I'm thinking, this Hmm. seems really exciting. So the next weekend, watched another game at home this time Uh just to test it out. Holy smokes, Juliet. I am the biggest NFL fan you will ever meet. Uh. It is so much fun. And it's not just about the game. It's about the strategy on the field. It's about when somebody throws a Hail Mary and they catch it and they Mm -hmm. win in the last second. It's the pressure of the kicker when Mm -hmm. the game is riding on him or the camaraderie, the community. When I wake up on a Monday morning or a Mm -hmm. Thursday morning and there's an NFL game on that evening, it brings me a little bit of joy. That's awesome. I never would have guessed. Right. That's a great example. Again, of being open. Open. Yeah, to receiving it. And I think this also makes me think back to how, especially as adults, we might turn our nose up at, I don't going to sit down and do arts and crafts or things like that. <laughs> and it's like, why yeah. not? You are creative. Let's figure out. Let's just trial and error. Just try things. Be open. Well, and I think with that too, there's also the element of, well, I'm not good at it. Sure. And we don't want to do course. things we're not quote good at. Of but course. yes, you're exactly right. What's the big deal? Grab a set of paints and a canvas and start, start creating. You yep. may love yep. what you may love it. Who cares what it looks like? Yep. The Release perfection. The yes. The perfectionism and how we feel we have to be productive. It's the other thing. And Bingo. sometimes we feel like that's things like that aren't productive. And exactly. yet it's so necessary to recharge, to rest, to pour in those bursts of joy, as you're saying, that's, yeah, those serve a purpose. When you're, they make you happy. They create adding up, add, they may seem small, but they add up to a happy life. And when we're happier, we're better parents, spouses, colleagues, associates, friends, humans. Mm. We get, when we are the happiest versions of ourselves, we're doing a service to the universe. Mm. Our people, our family, they deserve the best versions that we can be. Mm of ourselves. I'll give you another example, which I just love a client. This is great. A client had the opportunity to go uh, skiing. A friend of hers had a free um, lift pass. I'm in Denver. So, Mm -hmm. you know, skiing is a huge thing here. She said, no, she said, nah, last time I went skiing, I hated it. It was hard. My nose was running the whole time from the (laughs) cold. It's not my thing. How old were you? She was 12. Oh my gosh. Are you the same person you were when you were 12? No, Lisa, don't be ridiculous. Well, okay then. What would be the worst that could happen? Assume you don't break any bones. That would happen if you took your friend up, took the free ski lift pass and went on a Saturday. And she thought about it. No, it wouldn't be a big risk. I said, no, at least you would know that it's not something that brings you joy. You know the moral of the story. Of course. She goes, has the most amazing time, but not because of why you might think when she was on that mountain skiing, she found it to be beautiful, tranquil, Mm. calming. The beauty of the physical beauty of the surroundings of the mountains touched her in a way that never could when she was 12. Sure. So that's it. That was it. Yep. It was a mic drop moment. Now she goes at least two or three times a season. Sure. That's beautiful. I mean, it's a, it's a great example. I want to ask too, how do you talk to your kiddos about this? 
And especially oh. when they were younger, maybe I know they're middle and high school now. So they're elementary and middle. Oh, elementary so they're nine and nine and 13. This is, oh, <laughs> this has been a tough one with, with, with joy. I mean, kids are so good at it. They, you know, they live this way. I mean, they're not afraid to try new things or fail at stuff. <sighs> and I encourage that, you know, of course. Yeah. Give it a shot. Oh, you didn't like it. All right. No big deal. No sweat. I do, you know, with the emotions, when bad things happen, we talk it out. We, we experience the feelings. I try not to tell them don't feel that way, you know, but let's, let's talk about a strategy for how we can find joy, even when things are tough. Mm. But I will tell you that, um, to continue with the Lisa saga, you're going to love this. Uh I got that help 20 years ago. Things were good. I had my I had anxiety when I got pregnant specifically with my first, who's now 13, because I'm a nervous person. I don't want anything bad to happen, but I don't think it was crazy. It wasn't like uncontrollable fear. Uh It was. And then when David was born, it was the whole, oh, he needs a jacket because it's cold out there, you know, and it's like 80 degrees, you know, that sort of thing. But I knew I didn't want to parent my kids from fear. Mm. I wanted them to be kids. I wanted them to play in the dirt and on the playground and at the children's museum. Of course, I washed their hands and sanitized them and they got baths at the end of those days. But I think overall, I did a pretty good job. Mm. I really did. Um, I even confirmed that with my husband. I was like, what? Because he's on the opposite end of the spectrum. They don't need a jacket. Give me a break. They're fine. That kind of thing. Got it. Mm Mm-hmm. When COVID hit, so a year, March, 2020, oh dear God. Mm. So 20 years, you 20 years, I Googled my doctor. (gasps) Lisa. Still still practicing. Sent her an email. It's been 20 years. You probably don't remember me. I have chills. I kid you not. 20 years. Emails me later that day. Of course, I remember you. What can I do to help? I am tearing up. It was amazing because I knew I needed help. It was getting to the point where I could, I locked us down. I said, there's no way we are going out of this house. This family my husband, my kids, we're not moving anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I tried that. And for three months, that's how we lived. And I don't even say lived; That's how we existed. Mm-hmm. I knew I needed to change something because I was seeing behaviors in my son specifically. That was not good. Mm-hmm. And, and of course not. I mean, you know, so I started seeing her virtually once a week, mm-hmm. still seeing her once a week, a year and a half later, because this is something that I need ongoing support with. Yes. This is hard for somebody who, and, and to think about it, the things that I used to obsess and worry about in hindsight were so stupid compared to COVID, which well, is real, you know, but the way it I doesn't was, diminish, you know. but the way I was managing it, the COVID situation wasn't healthy for any of us. Sure. I mean, you tell somebody with OCD to wash their hands more frequently like they were telling us in the spring of 2020, bloody knuckles, baby. It was, yeah, I'm sure it was uncontrollable. uh Uh-huh. Oh gosh. Okay. So there are like three things that really jump out about that whole thing. You just said 
not parenting out of fear. Mm-hmm. Really important. Um, the relationship that is client and therapist or can be client and therapist. I just, I don't even think I can articulate anything more beautiful around that than just, it is a relationship. Absolutely. And she helped me with some of the hardest times of my life. I mean, she gave me tools and confidence and encouragement and support during times where I, I, I struggled to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And on the off chance that she was still practicing, I call it my 20 year check-in. I say, it's time for, you know, and, and she's hysterical laughing because she's I like, know. you know, this is amazing, but I never forgot her and yeah. I never forgot the tools she taught me. Mm-hmm. I mean, to this day, I still use the stuff she taught me when I was nine. Mm-hmm. And for her to be back in my life, continuing to offer me the support and the and the non-judgment opportunity to share my vulnerable feelings and fears and mm-hmm. but yet helping me navigate to a space where I can handle them differently yeah. in a more healthy way has been the most unbelievably helpful thing she could have ever done and mm-hmm. continues to do. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, but I mean, what would you have done if she was not still practicing? Do you think I would have found someone else? Okay. Yeah. I knew I needed help. Of course. Yeah. You know, I knew because at that point I was, I acknowledged I needed, I needed to find a way to live and have my family live mm-hmm. during this difficult time because the alternative was seeing my son go down a spiral of depression potentially. Mm-hmm. And then what happens if, yeah, I could protect him from COVID, but I, what if I can't protect, get him out of this, this depression that he may fall into. Mm-hmm. And so what I needed from a doctor or a therapist was to figure out coping strategies for how I can be okay with a little bit of safe, responsible risk. That mm-hmm. was the key mm-hmm. is I was, it was either all or nothing. That's right. We're either in this house we are not leaving. We are not interacting with anybody. We're not doing anything mm-hmm. or we're unsafe completely doing anything outside of that yeah. is unsafe. And that's yeah. not true. I mean, there are ways we can be sure. safe by doing certain things that will get us to interact in some capacity with other people. But I wasn't able to see that, mm-hmm. that yep. spectrum. Yep. And so what she helped me do is say, okay, you know, you're operating from one to 10 one being the safest you could be to 10 being going into a concert and, and, and in the mosh pit, you know, mm-hmm. as a 10. Mm-hmm. what do you think about? We start doing one, twos and threes. Mm. So play dates outside, sanitizing, washing hands, mm-hmm. wearing masks. And, and did I want to do it? Heck no. Heck no. Was I uncomfortable? Heck yeah but I had to be okay with that discomfort in mm-hmm. order to do what I know my family needed me to do for them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. It's still hard. Of it's course. Hard. Of course. And and it, it, it's amidst a time when the information, especially in the beginning was constantly changing, right? So Correct. there wasn't any real way to orient around there is a right or a wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when somebody has any level of anxiety, OCD, you know, you're, you're just, you're in a tailspin and that in and of itself is traumatic too. So, yeah. But I just love this idea of knowing when to reach out. 
Yes. When, when I knew I, I couldn't go on like that because mm-hmm. I know I deserve to be more joyful, happier than I was living. And my family deserved to be happier. They deserved a happier me and mm-hmm. they deserve to be happier than what I could offer. Mm-hmm. Something had to change. I always think about this kind of thing on a spectrum. It's either, so, so we all have things about us that we wish we could change. We don't like, I mean, maybe you're a bad cook. Maybe your fitness isn't exactly where you want it, whatever. We can put those things into what I call the change and the accept category. The stuff that goes in the change category has to be the stuff that is keeping us from being the person we want to be. And at that point, my fears, my anxiety around the COVID situation was keeping me from being who I knew I wanted to be. It was in the change category. If something is in the change category, you get to work. You say, okay, what's the plan? Can I do it on my own? Are there resources out there? Are there support groups, books, whatever? I make a commitment. I can't fix it potentially, but I can improve it. Mm-hmm. The accept category are the things like I mentioned. The, you know, is my fitness great? No. But right now, this is where it belongs in the accept category because we only have a specific number of resources, energy, time to work on things. And if we mm-hmm. try to put everything in the change category, we'll do nothing. <laughs> and so we'll feel really, really bad about ourselves. <laughs> So it really is a matter of prioritizing what needs to be improved right now. What do I have to give 100% to in order to be the best me I can be? And so the thing is, when things go into that accept category, there's no shame. There's no feelings of failure. There's no guilt because that's where it belongs right now. In a couple of months, we reassess. How are things going? Do I still need to keep that in the accept category? Or is it time to get that into the change category? Do I feel like I'm not feeling great. And maybe that physical commitment to exercising Mm -hmm. will help. Maybe so. Then we make the change. Mm -hmm. Now, the my fears, my anxieties over COVID, are they still there? Yeah, of Mm -hmm. course. But I'm managing them so much better. And I'm able to live. And I'm able to let my kids live. That is now in the accept. I'm maintaining it. I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. And so I'm maintaining it. I'm still meeting with my doctor weekly sometimes bi-weekly, but sometimes weekly because yep. I do need that extra support. And it's, I don't expect it to, to be a hundred percent gone. That's never been my expectation, yeah. but right now the way I'm managing it, it's, it's okay. It's not keeping me from being the best version of Lisa. I know I can be. Yeah. So always remember that balance. Not everything needs to be fixed. Not everything needs to be changed. Not all shortcomings need to be changed. And that's another thing that I think sometimes we get obsessed about, you know, it's, we feel like we have to be these perfect beings and in every aspect of our life. And I call bull on that. It's mm-hmm. like, not all shortcomings need to be fixed. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. No way. My house is not clean. I am not the best housekeeper. You know what? I'm okay with that. I do the best I can. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get into a bit of a rage clean, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And so much of this, I mean, this is values oriented living. The things that I'm going to choose to put in which category is ideally based upon our true individual values. And I love that. And then this other idea, even just the language matters so much. So calling, calling them shortcomings, imperfections, I mean, has these negative connotations when it just is, there is no such thing as perfection and these unique things or whatever. That's what makes 
the world so beautiful. That's what makes us special and all of that. So really, I love that idea of letting go. And I, you know, another theme that I've picked out in everything you're saying, because there, there might be people listening that are, you know, that struggle with anxiety, depression, um, and they just simply really have a hard time finding that joy and really have a hard time grounding in that. And that's certainly understandable. And I work with people you know, and have felt that way myself time to time. I think there is, you know, a theme for you where you've, it appears that you've had this like self-assuredness at the foundation, which I think has got to help you kind of be able to reorient to a place of, I- I'll figure it out. I'll find yes. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're a lot stronger than we think we are. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we walk around too thinking that everybody else has got it all figured out. Everybody else's house is perfect. Everybody else is, and it's, it's so sad because not true. They've got challenges and struggles just like you do. Maybe they're different. Well, and 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 so yeah. back in the spring last year, when I said, mm-hmm. we're done, we're, we're locking it down. You know, guys, this is my anxiety was at a 10. I, I knew I was struggling. My associates, my friends, my acquaintances were like, what is happening with you? Mm-hmm. What, what do you do? Because they didn't know this about me. Wow. And so I realized then and there that, I needed to start talking about my struggles because I was yes. further perpetuating this illusion that people who are happy, optimistic, successful, positive have no problems or challenges. Yes. And I started, and I, so I started talking about it. I said, look, you don't know this about me, but this is what I've struggled with since I was a kid. And you could see the jaw drop. <sighs> you could see them say, I had no idea. And I said, well, of course you had no idea. Why would yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. And it reminded them that if I can be joyful and positive and optimistic through my challenges, they can be joyful, positive and optimistic through theirs. And it also might quiet that lady who says you're nauseating with your positivity, (laughs) right? When she sees the whole humanness, you know, I'm like saying that sort of tongue in cheek, but I I do mean that, that when we can have more compassion for each other and, and see each other as human, that we never have a clue what people are going through. Oh, really? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Everybody's got something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that was just such a, a vivid reminder that I, I need to talk about it. I need mm-hmm. to share I'm my so struggles glad. with people. And it makes me feel so warm and fuzzy because I'm helping other people. Yes. In fact, one of my friends confided in me that her son has some of the tendencies that I had as mm-hmm. a kid. And so I just gave her my perspective and I could see in her face the relief Mm-hmm. you know, cause I turned out okay, if I may say so myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so the encouragement and, right. and her figuring out how to navigate to best help him, I feel like I helped her yep. and I never would have been able to do that had I not been open about my challenges. That's it. So thank you for coming into this space and doing that. Cause that's exactly, that's the mission. Well, when uh, I heard about your show, I knew it was a fit because uh, it's such an important role that you're playing and putting the show out there you know, it's, everybody's got something. And if people need a little extra help getting through that something, reach out. The help is there. There is no embarrassment or shame or reason not to. You deserve to be the happiest version of you that you can be, period. End of story. Enough said. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate your time. This was a really rich conversation. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. For therapy highlight time today, I wanted to talk about OCD because that hasn't come up in any of our previous episodes. And it is a lingo that gets tossed around sometimes very casually. 
And that language matters. And so I want us to understand what actual obsessive compulsive disorder is. And it is when a person gets stuck in a cycle of obsessions and compulsions. And so Lisa did a really nice job of kind of highlighting for us what her contamination obsessions looked and felt like, and then the compulsions that came from that, whether it was hand washing or other measures to try to make her feel better about the germs that she was being exposed to. So the obsessions are unwanted, intrusive thoughts or images or urges that really bring on intense discomfort. And then the compulsions are the behaviors that we engage in to attempt to get rid of the distress or the obsessions. And so, yes, I mean, a lot of us will have some of these intrusive thoughts or compulsive uh, behavior urges at some point in our lives. But in order for the diagnosis to be made for true OCD, this cycle of obsessions and compulsions is so extreme that it really consumes one's way of living and it can get in the way of one's values. And so it's not just, oh my gosh, I have to have my room clean today. I'm so OCD, but it's the, I have to, or I'm going to live in a space of distress that is truly limiting and a barrier. And it shows up in all of these ways. And the distress is uh, just an anxiety that can really feel off the charts. Uh, So I love that she was very open about that. And yes, how it, how it, peaks in times of transition or high stress. And so it's wonderful that uh, she's been open in these transitions to seeking extra support as needed. The other thing that I hope you guys are left with is where can I find bursts of joy today? And so my charge to us all is to figure out what that feels like, what joy feels like in our bodies. So the somatization of it. So when I feel bursts of joy, it's really actually an ease. There's an ease instead of that tight anxiety feeling that I often carry in my chest that almost dissipates. So bursts of joy allow an ease, allow a feeling of elation that I that I can feel in my chest and sometimes in my throat where it's just this uh, excitement and eagerness. And so what, what does it feel like for you? And what are the things that bring about those bursts of joy for you? I would love to hear. So go back to our, uh, my Instagram. Yep. I go to therapy, comment on some of these, uh, posts about this episode and let me know, let Lisa know what your bursts of joy are today, tomorrow, this next week. Thanks so much for listening. So who are you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. 